We do want to welcome you very warmly in the Saviour's name this evening to our online programme. It's coming from Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. The meetings have not yet resumed in London as the normal fashion would be. And because of COVID and the circumstances around that, they're continuing in this online format. And we're very glad that you've joined with us and we thank thee for doing so. And it is our prayer that the Lord indeed will bless uh, his word to all of our hearts and souls uh, this evening. We're going to commence with a hymn, Immortal Honours Rest on Jesus' Head. My God, my portion and my living bread. In him I live, upon him cast my care. He saves from death, destruction and despair. The words will come up on screen for you to join in with. So do join in and participate as we praise and worship the Lord.
going to bow together now in prayer and seek the Lord for his blessing this evening. Let us all unite together in prayer. Our God and Father, we do draw near into thy presence and we thank thee for the way of access that we enjoy through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is true that immortal honours do rest on Jesus' head. He is the one who is exalted now. The days of his humiliation are over and he is risen and he is ascended, he is exalted. He is at thy right hand, a prince and a saviour. He is our forerunner for he has entered in for us into the holy place and high, bearing the blood of his own sacrifice for sin. And Lord, we thank thee that he has fulfilled that type that we read off in the Old Testament scriptures of Aaron the high priest entering in once a year with the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkling it upon the mercy seat. Lord, we praise thee that Jesus Christ is the mercy seat, that he is the fulfillment of that type. And we rejoice in the sacrifice that he has made that has put away sin. And there is no more remembrance of sin. He was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And our Father, we do desire to exalt him this evening and praise and magnify his name for all that he has done for unworthy sinners. O Lord, we deserve thy wrath to fall upon us and to consume us in an instant. But we thank thee, O God, for the sacrifice the Saviour has made, that we're reconciled by the blood of the Lamb. And we pray that thou will bless our coming together this evening. And as the programs continue in this format, we pray that thou will bless thy truth this night as it does go forth. Remember thy servant who will minister the word of God. We pray that thou will lay liberally to his hand, enable him, we pray, bless him in his own soul. May he know the help of God as he would minister the word, and then as he would minister from what the Lord has given to him to us, that the word will be a blessing to our soul too. Teach us, Lord, of the things of thyself. We thank thee for the Saviour, that he's coming again in power and in great glory. We bless thee, Lord, that the prophets have said these things, and we can glean in the prophets. And we pray that thou would help us, Lord, to be diligent and to search the Scriptures daily and see whether these things are so. So, Lord, teach us, we pray, through thy word, and bless us all. Lead us on with thyself. Make us ever watchful, we pray, in these times in which we live. May we indeed lift up our eyes, for our redemption draweth nigh. So, Lord, do bless. We ask, remember thy cause. We pray that thou wilt be pleased, Lord, to favour, gather out that people for whom Christ has died. Bring sinners unto thyself, we pray. If there's one listening uh, this evening, or at some other time to this broadcast, Lord, and they know not thee, we pray that thou would work graciously in their heart. Bring them unto thyself. We pray that the word would be mixed with faith in their heart, and that they would turn believingly unto Jesus Christ and know what it is to experience the new birth. O Lord, do bless, we pray, and abide with us now as we continue on before thee, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to read the Word of God at this stage in our service. We're reading from the prophecy of Zechariah in the very last chapter of that prophecy, chapter 14. And we're going to read from the opening verse. We're going to read the chapter through. So Zechariah chapter 14, and we're reading from the opening verse. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. And thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. 
For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the woman ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem, on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee, like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. And it shall come to pass in that day, that the light shall not be clear nor dark. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night. But it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord, and his name one. All the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem. And it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place, from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananiel unto the king's winepresses. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. And it shall come to pass in that day, that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them, and they shall lay every lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbour, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbour. And Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver and apparel in great abundance. And so shall be the plague of the horse, of the mule, of the camel, and of the ass, of all the beasts that shall be in their, these tents as this plague. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them, shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up, and come not, that have no rain. There shall be the plague, wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen, that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt, and the punishment of all nations, that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles.
In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord, and the pots of the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and seethe therein. And in that day shall there be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his holy and inspired word to all of our hearts for his name's sake. Can I renew the welcome to you and thank you very much for joining with us. We welcome you in the Saviour's name wherever you're joining with us from uh, across the United Kingdom and beyond that as well in various places in the world. There are those who tune in to these broadcasts and we're very thankful that you do and uh, we appreciate your support of these online broadcasts at this particular time. And it is our prayer that the Lord indeed will bless all of our hearts this evening as we are gathered here. If I could make uh, a few announcements at this particular stage in our, our meeting, I do remember the latest edition of the quarterly magazine, Watching and Waiting. That's available for the month of October to December of this year. It costs £5 per year. And you can subscribe to that. And if you're not on the subscription list, then we would encourage you to contact the secretary, Mr. Toms, and his address will come up at the end of the broadcast, or maybe even at the moment it will be before you, and you will be able to um, mail him and ask him to add you to the mailing list. And you'll thoroughly enjoy uh, those articles that are found in the quarterly magazine. The latest bound volume of Watching and Waiting is also available. That's volume 29, and that covers the years 2017 through to 2019. And that costs £9 each. Or if you want to purchase three uh, bound volumes, then you can do so for £20. There's a little saving there uh, if you... Uh, stretch yourself to purchase three of them. And again, if you want to do that, all of these publications that I'm going to mention, uh, please do uh, contact uh, Mr. Toms or you can go online and make your order there through uh, the website, sjat.org. It will help you as well if you want to uh, access the, the list of literature that, that is available on, on many different uh, topics around the second coming of the Lord and even beyond that as well. Now, the latest publication that the uh, SJAT have brought out is the exposition of the book of Hebrews by Adolf Sapphire. It's a, a republication of that work. It's a hardback volume, nearly a thousand pages. And there's also a short biography and a couple of uh, very nice special pictures there as well in that volume. It's £18 per copy, and you can purchase that, as I have been indicating to you. Uh, There is a special offer for all ministers and ministerial students. So if you're in the Lord's work or training for the Lord's work, uh, then there is a special discount on that for you. And again, contact the secretary and you will find out those details. There's some other books as well that are being offered at a special rate at this particular time. 
you will uh, find them there. They'll come up. The picture will come up on the screen. Uh, Israel and the Nations. It's to do with the minor prophets and their messages that were preached, oh, a few years ago now. But uh, they're, they're in print and you can access those and have those. There's also the, the coming of Christ and some other papers as well um, by James Stevens. There's a little book on uh, E.J. Poole O'Connor and uh, the champion for the truth and this is going to be part of this package as well and then there's 1,000 Bible questions uh, that you can have as well. Now all of those uh, are £15 for the four of them, they're £5 each uh, normally but if you purchase all four of those then you will be able to um, have them at that particularly reduced uh, price. Can I just mention as well the subscription to the magazine? Uh, if you do subscribe to the quarterly magazine, that uh, you do remember that you need to renew your subscription. And if you have got a little slip of paper in your latest um, watching and waiting that has been sent to you, then that you would be pleased to return that to the secretary and renew your subscription. There is the, the next meeting of the... Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. That will be Friday the 26th of November at 7pm. Reverend Richard Monteith will be the preacher on that occasion and he will be preaching on the subject, the testimony of Malachi. And that's going to bring to an end the monthly meetings for 2021. There isn't a meeting during December. And it also brings to an end this series that has now been running for uh, two years the mouth of all his holy prophets. And as you can imagine, Malachi will be a fitting conclusion to that series coming to the last of the prophets in, in the scriptures of the Old Testament. Uh, so do remember that next month. Join in again. It's Friday the 26th of November at 7pm. And it will be going out in this format as well. And uh, it will be an online broadcast and you will be able to access it in that way. I think that is everything I want to say by way of announcements other than to welcome our preacher this evening. He's the chairman of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony Committee and we appreciate all his labours that he engages in on behalf of uh, the work of God in this regard and he is... Reverend David McMillan, he's the minister in Armagh Free Presbyterian Church, and he will be coming now, just after we sing another hymn, to minister the word of God uh, to all of our hearts. And it is our prayer the Lord will enable him and bless him this night as he takes up the word of God. But we're going to sing a hymn at this particular time. It's 472. My times are in thy hand. My God, I wish them there. My life, my friends, my soul, I leave entirely to thy care. My times are in thy hands is the title of this hymn. And the words will come up there on the screen and you will be able to sing along and join in the praise. And then immediately after this, the Lord's servant will minister the word of God.
would like to take the opportunity to thank you uh, for your support. We want to assure you that we do appreciate you taking the time uh, to listen to the broadcast, listen to the meeting uh, again this month. We're also very thankful to the Reverend McClung uh, for leading the broadcast, and we want to thank him as well for doing uh, the scripture reading. Can I say, can I emphasize that I'm always very happy to speak at these monthly meetings for the Sovereign Grace uh, Advent Testimony, and we do appreciate uh, the invitation uh, very much indeed. Just before we come to the Scriptures, we're going to take time again uh, briefly to pray, uh, to seek the Lord for his help. So let's just pray together. Father, we bow in thy presence. We rejoice in the privilege that we have. We confess, Father, our, our great need, especially as we come to the ministering of thy word. We especially need the touch of thy spirit, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, I want to pray, Father, that you'll come and be with us. Our prayer is that you'll settle our hearts. We pray that you'll settle our minds as well. We want to pray that you'll guide our thoughts. We pray that you'll give us help in the ministry. We pray that you'll give utterance. We ask for liberty as well. And our prayer, Father, is that uh, our meditation of thy word will be a blessing. We pray that you'll use the message and uh, use the broadcasts greatly, even to uh, help uh, your people in an understanding of these great truths relating to the coming again of our Saviour. So, Father, hear our prayers and come and help us and be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The verse of Scripture that we want to take as our text uh, for the, the message today is found in Zechariah chapter 14. And it's the words of the, the third verse. Uh, we do encourage you to, uh, to find the place. So Zechariah chapter 14, the verse 3. And in that place the word of God records, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. Let me remind you that the theme of this message uh, is the testimony of Zechariah. Can I take a moment just at the outset uh, to give you a little outline of some of the prophets, especially in their relation to uh, the captivity, the period of the captivity uh, of Judah. You remember that Jeremiah, he prophesied before the captivity. Uh, Daniel and Ezekiel, uh, they prophesied during the period of of uh, the, the captivity or the exile itself. But Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi all prophesied after uh, the captivity. Uh, sometimes they're described as post-exilic uh, prophets. If you think of what Ezra the scribe records in his book, he tells us that Haggai and Zechariah were contemporaries. In other words, they they ministered together. They ministered at the same time in the city of Jerusalem. So that helps to clarify the picture uh, for us a little more of the time in which uh, this man, Zechariah, uh, ministered. We also learn uh, from this prophecy of Zechariah that Zechariah himself was a young man. If you look at chapter 2 uh, of the book, uh, verse 4, 
It says there, run and speak to this young man. So Zechariah was the younger of the two prophets. If you think of Haggai and Zechariah, Haggai was the older, Zechariah was the younger. He's a young man, and he's starting out in his prophetic ministry. And what an encouragement that is for for young men who are considering uh, the call of God uh, into full-time service. So it's very helpful for us uh, to think of these things. Uh, It's also very helpful for us, very profitable, uh, to compare and to contrast uh, the two books of Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai, uh, the book is brief. It contains no visions, whereas the prophecy of Zechariah, the book is long. It's certainly longer than Haggai. It has eight visions that are found in the first six chapters, and then there are direct prophecies that are found in the remainder of uh, the book. Haggai, the main focus of his book, his prophecy, was on the present. Uh, That was the work of the people, especially in the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. He stirred uh, up the people. His preaching was a stirring ministry. He stirred them up to get the building program going again after a 16-year delay. And that 16-year delay in the main was caused by the worldliness of the people, taken up with themselves, their own lives, and with their own houses. Whereas Zechariah, he challenged the people to look ahead. He challenged the people to think of the future. He caused them challenged them to think of the time of the end and even beyond to the future days of the millennial glory and the blessing that would come for the nation of Israel. In his ministry, he preached much about the second coming of the Savior. So it's good for us to learn that lesson, and it's good for us to follow that example and put that same emphasis of preaching on the return of Christ into our own ministries. So it's clear they are two different ministries, but they were both needed. And at that time in Jerusalem, each man's ministry complemented the other. So it's vital for us to understand that God gives uh, different men different gifts. God gives to different men different ministries, but they're all needed in the edification of the church, in the edification of the people of God. So let us pray that the Lord would give to the church in these days uh, more young men like uh, the prophet uh, Zechariah. Can I stress to you that Zechariah commenced his prophecy with a message of repentance? You find it there in chapter 1 in the verse 3. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. So how relevant, uh, men and women, how up to date uh, that is. That's a message that is needed again today in the generation in which we live and minister. In the church and in the nation, the need is to turn to turn from their sins, uh, to turn to the Lord. That is the great need of the hour in which uh, we're found. 
Can I highlight for you that the focus of the prophecy of Zechariah is the city of Jerusalem? There's over 40 references uh, to Jerusalem uh, in this book. And that's something that's very significant. Zechariah has much to say about uh, Jerusalem, especially before and after uh, the return of the Savior. It's very interesting that the name Zechariah means God remembers. It seemed that the city of Jerusalem had been forsaken. The city of Jerusalem had been forgotten at that time. But God was saying to these people that he would remember Jerusalem, even through the prophet and his name. God was saying to the people of Israel that God would remember Jerusalem. He would remember his people. He would keep his promises uh, towards them. For nation or for Israel as a nation, and even for Jerusalem as a city, it is true to say that the best is yet uh, to be. And here in chapter 14 of the prophecy, you have the very culmination of his message, the very culmination of his prophecy. He brings us here right to the very time of the end, right to the return of Christ itself. He testifies here of some important, some vital prophetic themes. And I want to identify some of them for you uh, in this uh, study today. Let me emphasize, first of all, what he testifies of in regard to the confederacy. Look there at verse 2 of chapter 14. Zechariah says, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and uh, the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off uh, from the city. What we've been told here is about the armies of the earth, about the armies of many countries that are going to gather against uh, Jerusalem. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem uh, to battle. This is a confederacy of the nations that is attacking Israel. It will especially be the nations of the Roman earth, the nations of Europe in its final formation that will assemble to make war with Israel, to make war upon uh, Jerusalem. And these nations will be led by uh, the Antichrist himself. So here, men and women, is an all-out military campaign against the city of Jerusalem. You think of all of the military attacks that have been made upon Jerusalem that are recorded in the Old Testament Scriptures. Think of the confederacies of nations that, that came against Jerusalem. In the days of King Asa, Jerusalem was attacked by the Ethiopians and the Libyans. In the days of King Jehoshaphat, it was invaded by the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Idumeans. In the days of Uzziah, there was wars with the Philistines, the Arabs, the Ammonites. And in the days of King Hezekiah, the city uh, was surrounded, it was besieged by uh, the Assyrians. So all of those previous events recorded for us in the Scriptures, they're all pictures. They're all foreshadowings of this attack, of this battle that is spoken of by Zechariah 
here in this very uh, important chapter. You think of the Gulf War, the armies of many nations combining to fight together. That was repeated again in Afghanistan, again a confederacy of nations that were fighting together. And I want to point out that we will, we will see that sort of thing increase. We will see it repeated until this last great confederacy is formed to come and fight against uh, the nation uh, of Israel. From Zechariah, let me remind you, he tells us, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem uh, to battle. So it's clear there's a day coming when Jerusalem will be attacked by the armies of uh, the nations. Can I ask you, in that context, just to notice the word, uh, the words there, to battle? You will have heard many Bible teachers speak of the battle of Armageddon uh, whenever they're preaching on prophecy. Let me make it clear that this verse, uh, the verse that's before us, is not speaking of the battle of Armageddon. In fact, what will happen at Armageddon is not a battle. That may surprise you. I know that it is spoken of by the secular world, the battle of Armageddon, spoken of by the secular world in books and films. I know that it's spoken of even by the evangelical world, even by many Bible teachers. But it's a mistake. It's a common mistake. It's a misunderstanding of what the Word of God says and teaches because no battle will be fought at Armageddon. Armageddon is in northern Israel. It's near to Galilee. It's approximately 80 miles north of Jerusalem. It's a plain. It's a vast plain, a a, a flat plain uh, there in northern Israel. It covers an area of about 17 miles by 30 miles from the Mediterranean to the Jordan Valley. You think of what has happened there in Scripture in the days of the Old Testament. For example, Deborah and Barak defeated Sisera in this area, in this location. King Josiah died at Megiddo. And remember, that's another name for the same place. Elijah, Elijah the prophet, ran across this great plain when he ran before Ahab after the great encounter at, uh, at Mount Carmel. So that, that's something of what has happened there uh, in the past. But what's going to happen at Armageddon in the future? If it's not a battle, then what is it? Well, the answer is it will be the gathering place of the nations, the gathering place of the armies of the nations. Revelation chapter 16, verse 16. It's an easy reference to remember. It says, And he gathered them together into a place in the Hebrew tongue called Armageddon. So the armies are gathered. They're assembled there at Armageddon. But there's there's no battle in that place, no battle in that location. What are they gathering for? Well, it's to march upon Jerusalem. And the details of that march, I encourage you to take the time uh, to, to read them. They're found in Isaiah uh, chapter 10. But understand clearly uh, today that Jerusalem is the scene. Jerusalem is the place of the battle, as we are clearly taught by Zechariah. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem uh, to battle. Joel, in his prophecy, uh, he speaks of the same gathering. 
he says, I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Mark the name, the valley of Jehoshaphat. That's another name for the Kedron Valley on the east of Jerusalem, just before the Mount of Olives. So the final battle is at Jerusalem. As Joel says, it will be in the valley of Jehoshaphat. And let me point out, that is the only place in Scripture, in the book of Joel. It's the only place that that name is used on two occasions. So that's very significant. So so Zechariah testifies. So we think of the testimony of the prophet uh, Zechariah. He testifies of the final battle of the age. When a confederacy of European nations, the European army, if you like to put it that way, will attack uh, Jerusalem. Something else very significant that Zechariah testifies of, and that is the coming, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the words of our text, verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. So here the prophet is testifying very plainly of the return of Christ, of the second coming of uh, the Savior. There's a number of truths just to note in the chapter about the coming of the Lord Jesus. Notice the place of his coming. You find it in verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. There's no mistaking the place. There's no mistaking the place that the Savior's uh, going to come to. Its exact location is given. This is the same place that Ezekiel saw the Shekinah glory finally depart uh, from Israel. It's the same place that the Savior wept over the city from. It's the same place where the Lord Jesus ascended up to heaven from. And this is the spot, men and women, where his feet, the feet of our Savior, will first stand upon this earth at the, t- at the time of his second coming. So that's the place of his coming. Notice as well the purpose of his coming. Look again at, at our text, verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. The Bible teaches a number of reasons uh, for the Savior's return. But here specifically we're told that it is to fight. It is to fight uh, for Israel, to fight in their defense. In Psalm 83, it reveals the, the intent of this confederacy of nations. Let me read what Psalm 83 says. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. That same psalm says that these nations, they are confederate against thee. So it's a confederacy of nations, a confederacy of armies against Israel, wanting to wipe them out, wanting to wipe out the nation of Israel. But Zechariah clearly teaches us that the Savior is coming, and he's coming to defend. He's coming to deliver Israel. Can I point out to you that the key word of the prophecy of Zechariah is the word jealous or jealousy. The idea of that word is the Lord's strong love, his strong affection for the nation of Israel. He stated 
perhaps the key verse of the whole prophecy, chapter 1, verse 14. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. And men and women, it's because of that great jealousy. It's because of that deep love that the Lord will not allow Israel or Jerusalem uh, to be destroyed, that he will come uh, to defend them. In Revelation 19, you read of the Lord Jesus leading his army out of heaven. Well, just for a moment, ask yourself, what is that heavenly army being mobilized to do? Well, you have the answer here in Zechariah 14. It is to fight for Israel. It is to fight this battle. And what a day, men and women. Uh, What a day uh, that will be. So that's uh, something of what Zechariah tells us of the purpose uh, of his coming. There's something else I want you to say, and that's the power uh, of his coming. Notice there the words of, of verse 12. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in uh, their mouth. So here we're told how God will judge, how God will destroy Israel's enemies. Some Bible teachers will tell you, as they make comment upon uh, those words, that that's a reference to a nuclear or an atomic bomb. Sounds very good. May draw a crowd. But it's not what Zechariah is teaching. It's not what he's testifying of or speaking about. Let me ask you uh, to think of the question, how will the Lord Jesus actually deal with, how will he judge and destroy his enemies at his coming? Well, Paul gives us the answer. Listen to what Paul taught. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. That wicked, of course, is a reference to the Antichrist, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. And notice these words, and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Notice those words, the brightness of his coming. That's how he will destroy his enemies, with the brightness of his coming. Also, Paul writing to the Thessalonians said that the Savior is coming in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me be clear. That's how the Savior will destroy his enemies. That is what Zechariah is speaking about here in verse 12 of chapter 14. It's not a bomb. Can I say to you, don't fear that men will destroy this earth uh, by their wars and by their weapons. The Bible says very clearly, heaven and earth will pass away. There's not a doubt about that. But it will pass away in God's time. It will pass away in God's way. And it will pass away under God's sovereign and almighty control. God has a purpose for this earth. God has a purpose for Christ's return. And those purposes will not be frustrated. They will not be frustrated by men or by armies or by bombs, even by the most wicked of men and by the most vicious of armies. So verse 12 of this chapter is a clear and it's a graphic description 
of the power of the Savior's coming and of the power that he will display in destroying Israel's enemies at that time. There's one other thing in the chapter let me highlight, and that is the change. We've thought about the Confederacy. We've thought about Zechariah testifying to the coming of Christ. He also gives great testimony to the change. One very interesting theme in this chapter is the vast dramatic changes that will take place in the earth whenever the Savior comes again. Remember Peter's words in the book of Acts? He said of the Lord Jesus, whom the heaven must receive. The Lord Jesus has ascended up to heaven, whom the heaven must receive, until the times of restitution of all things. Those are very significant words, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. That verse is the verse that this series of messages for the last two years has been based upon, the mouth of all his holy prophets. But notice carefully what Peter said. He doesn't speak in that verse about the destruction of all things. He speaks about the restitution of all things or the restoring of everything. That is the restoring of it to its original state. And that's what will happen whenever the Savior returns to the earth. He will bring everything back. It will be changed back to its original state, to its original glory as it was before the fall in the Garden of Eden. And Zechariah reveals many of those changes in the testimony that he gives here in this chapter. Let me just mention some of them for you very quickly. Think of the change that will take place at the Mount of Olives. Look again at verse 4. His feet shall stand on that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward uh, the south. So the Mount of Olives is going to cleave in the midst, towards the north, and toward the south, and a great valley will be the result. A great valley will be uh, produced. When will that happen? The cleaving of the Mount of Olives? It will happen when the Savior comes, when his feet touch it, when he stands upon uh, the Mount of Olives. There's all sorts of reports that have been given. You may have read some of them of a weakness in the rocks, a weakness that is been identified in the Mount of Olives. That may be the case, may not be the case. But the reality, one way or the other, it will, it will cleave in the midst at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another change that Zechariah testifies of here in the chapter is uh, with regard to the landscape around Jerusalem. Notice the words of verse 10. All the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Remen south of Jerusalem. And it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate onto the place of the first gate, onto the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel onto the king's wine presses. Notice especially, all the land shall be turned as a plain 
from Geba to Rebbon, south of Jerusalem. And then he says, and that, that's a reference to Jerusalem, shall be lifted up. So we learn here that the landscape, the topography, the geography, all around Jerusalem will change. There's going to be uh, dramatic changes. There will be two changes in particular that we've highlighted uh, from this verse 10. One is that the land around Jerusalem will become a plain. It will become a vast plain. That land will all be made flat. But the city itself is going to be raised. The city of Jerusalem itself is going to be lifted up. Jerusalem or Zion will be raised on high. Isaiah the prophet uh, speaks of this event as well. In chapter 2, he said that it will be established in the tops of the mountains. It's going to be exalted above the hills. Then at that time, it will be the highest mountain, higher even than uh, the Mount Everest. Some say that would never take place. That could never happen. But remember, God did it before. God did it before at uh, the time of the flood. If you read Psalm 104, especially the verse 8, look at the marginal, the alternative reading that is given to that verse. It says the mountains ascend and the valleys descend. That's what happened at the flood. That's how the waters of the flood drained away from off the earth. God pushed the mountains up and he pushed the valleys down. And it will happen again, uh, men and women. Mount Zion will ascend. God will raise it up. He will push it up in the earth. You know the words of the paraphrase? We often sing of Isaiah 2, Behold the mountain of the Lord in latter days shall rise. You know the reality, sadly. Many don't realize what they're actually singing about. The circumstances, the events of which they're singing uh, when they sing those words in the praise of the Lord. So there's going to be great changes in Jerusalem, the landscape around Jerusalem. There's also going to be great change with regard to the river in Jerusalem. Uh, It says, And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. You know, it's very interesting uh, as you read those words that Jerusalem doesn't have a river. Jerusalem is one of the few great cities of the earth not to be built on a river. But here in Zechariah 14, we have mention made of a river in Jerusalem. It says, living waters shall go out from uh, Jerusalem. And being no doubt, men and women, being no doubt, it is a river. Uh, I'm using the word deliberately, using it carefully. Being no doubt, it is a river. In fact, that's how the psalmist describes it in the famous Psalm 46. There is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. So just think of it, a river in uh, Jerusalem. And Ezekiel teaches us, uh, if you read the closing chapters of his prophecy, that that river is caused by waters flowing out from the temple uh, in Jerusalem uh, during the time, during the days of the reign of Christ uh, upon uh, the earth. Another area of great change 
uh, closely connected uh, to the river in Jerusalem that Zacharias speaks about is in regard to the Dead Sea. You look again uh, at that verse 8, and it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, and half of them toward the hinder sea, in summer and in winter uh, shall it be. So notice the description given of this river, of these waters. These are living waters, life-giving waters. And the river divides. The river flows in two different directions, half toward the former sea, that's towards the Dead Sea, and the other half towards the Hinder Sea, or towards uh, the Mediterranean. But what will be the result of these living waters whenever they touch the waters, especially the waters uh, of the Dead Sea? Well, the result is that the waters will be healed. The Dead Sea will become a living sea. The Dead Sea will become a sea of life. Just listen to what Ezekiel says. What will actually happen uh, to the Dead Sea at that time? It says, And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the rivers shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither. For they shall be healed, and everything shall live whither the river uh, cometh. So notice those words carefully. Waters will be healed. The, the, the dead sea will be healed. The sea will be full of life. It will be full of fish. So what a change is going to take place. Let me just mention, we'll not take the time to develop uh, this one today, but he also mentions spiritual changes that will come about at the time of the reign of Christ. The final two verses of the prophecy teach that even mundane things like bells on the horses and pots in Jerusalem, they will be holiness to the Lord. There will be such a change as spiritually to everything whenever the Lord Jesus uh, comes back again. So here, men and women, is, is just a little of the testimony of Zechariah. The testimony of the prophet Zechariah to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a key chapter in a key book. And I encourage you to study these things a little farther yourself. Remember that David Barron, converted Jew, that his exposition of the prophecy of Zechariah is available and is a great help with regard to further studies of these great uh, truths. Just in closing, let me remind you that Zechariah begins his book, begins his prophecy with a call to repentance. But he ends, as we have saw a little in our study today, he ends his prophecy with a description, a description of a holy nation, the nation of Israel, a description of the glorious kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ that one day will be set up upon this earth. Zechariah ministered in a difficult place and he ministered in a difficult time. But in those difficult days, he encouraged God's people. He encouraged them to be faithful to the Lord, to get on with uh, the Lord's work. 
to worship the Lord faithfully, he encouraged God's people by showing them what God had planned uh, for the future. And I pray, brethren and sisters, that in these very dark and difficult days in which we live, that you'll be encouraged by this same message today, that you'll be encouraged by the blessed hope of the Savior's coming and of the great blessing that will be experienced at, at that time and by that great event. Let me stress to you, God is still jealous over Jerusalem. And be in no doubt that despite what men will do, despite what nations will do, despite the wickedness of the nations of the earth, God will fulfill his great purpose for Jerusalem. So I pray that God will bless this message and he will bless this study to every heart. I do want to thank the Lord's servant for ministering God's truth this night to all our hearts and dealing with the prophecy of Zechariah. And may the Lord indeed bless our souls and thrill our souls with that wonderful book and what is said about the coming of the Saviour and that he will stand on the Mount of Olives. And what a glorious day that will be when the Saviour returns in power and in great glory. And may the Lord write his word upon our hearts as we have all heard it this evening ministered to us. We're going to close with a hymn. It's the Lord is coming by and by. Be ready when he comes. He comes from his fair home on high. Be ready when he comes. And the words will be there again for you to join in with in this closing hymn.
going to bow together in prayer and commit ourselves to the Lord, thanking him for the ministry of his word, thanking for the Lord for help given to his servant as he's ministered the word of God tonight and asking the Lord to lay up that word in all our hearts that it might remain with us. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank thee for all that has been said and done tonight and we pray that thy name might be glorified in all things and that we might have this glorious hope before us of the coming Christ. We pray thou will bless thy word, bless each one who has been listening, meet them at the very point of their need and we pray that they might know the Lord thrilling their own soul through his word. Lead them on, each one with thyself. So grant us thy blessing now and thy abiding presence, for we commit ourselves to thee in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.